If you ever have times when no matter what you do, no matter how hard you push yourself mentally, no matter how much you remind yourself, I have so much to do today. I need to go. This is important. My life is going to fall apart if I don't get all this stuff done. You just can't make yourself do anything. Maybe you can't get off the couch. Maybe you can't get off your phone. Maybe you can't even get out of bed. If this is something that happens to you frequently, you're probably experiencing something that we in psychology have creatively titled the freeze response. It is a response to either life-threatening danger or overwhelming cumulative life stressors. Unfortunately, the part of your brain that commands the freeze response is really, really bad at telling the difference between those two things. And so when we are overwhelmed by a lengthy to-do list or a lot of general life stressors, our brain sometimes thinks we're being chased by a grizzly bear and it shuts everything down until we feel safe again. Today, I'm gonna to teach you why that happens. And I'm also gonna teach you what you can do to reverse that response and get going again. Welcome back to the Psychology of Depression and Anxiety. I'm your host, Dr. Scott. I run intensive outpatient programs in Iowa for people with moderate to severe mood and anxiety disorders. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and I've been doing this work for a while. I am a big fan of clinical literature and research, so you're not going to get a lot of, or any, hopefully, pseudoscience or, or new agey stuff on here. This is the real stuff. This, this is legitimate. We know how this works kind of thing. And, and what the point of all this is, is to help you understand the most complicated and frustrating thing that you will ever own in your entire life, which is your brain. <laughs> Brains, man, they just don't always do what we need them to do. And the freeze response is a perfect example because it's something that a few hundred years ago made perfect sense. We needed it to survive. Now it has become a massive liability that tends to hold us back from achieving our goals. So in order to understand what this is and what you want to do about it, we have to start with a little bit of a neurobiology lesson. I'm gonna keep this pretty short and pretty simple, but I promise you really do need this information to understand why the things I'm gonna to propose to you will actually work. So functionally speaking, you can divide your brain into three sections based on like there, you have the front third, the middle third, and the back third. The front third is an area called your frontal lobe. That is the last part of your brain to reach physical maturity. It doesn't actually finish growing until you're 25. The idea that you're an adult at 18 is probably made up for like World War II drafting purposes. That's a whole nother episode though. Your frontal lobe basically houses most of what you think of as you. So pretty much all of your conscious thoughts, the thoughts that you're aware that you're having and can kind of interact with or modify all of that stuff is just the front third of your brain. Most of what you think of as your thoughts or, or your brain activity is all just actually the front third. The middle third is an area called the midbrain. We're so creative in psychology. The midbrain does many, many things. There's two things that I want you to understand for today that the midbrain does. The midbrain is where emotional responses to things are generated. The midbrain also is the part of your brain that houses the amygdala. The amygdala is sort of like your personal security system. So, you know, some people have 
security systems for their homes, right? With like doorbell cameras and window sensors and all that stuff. You have a security system too. You have a series of internal processes that are running constantly and always scanning for danger. Now, most of what happens in your midbrain is subconscious, meaning you don't realize that you're doing these things. You don't notice the activity happening in this part of your brain for the most part, but it is always working and it's always working very hard. When the midbrain believes that it detects danger, it mobilizes what we call survival responses. I'll get back to that shortly. The last third of your brain, the, the back third, is an area called the hindbrain. That's very, very basic, keep you alive, interpret sensory responses kind of stuff. That part of your brain functions more like all your other organs. You don't really have any thoughts back there. It's just regulating basic physiological processes. So those are, that's the super brief segments of your brain. Now, you have probably heard this common saying that we only use about 10% of our brains. And if you're really into psychology, you might know that that saying is at best a half truth. We use about 10% of our brains at any given time. And so when you, if you've ever looked at any kind of real time brain scan, like an fMRI, for example, where it's shown like, hey, this part of this bra person's brain lights up when they're looking at art and this part of their brain lights up when they're doing their taxes and this part lights up when they're falling in love. What you're seeing is certain parts of the brain becoming more active and other parts becoming less active to compensate for that additional activity. So it's sort of like a power grid. So your brain, when you're awake and alert, has about the same amount of activity going on all the time. There's not like a secret 90% of your brain that you can unlock and gain superpowers. Pretty sure the limitless pill would kill you. But again, another topic for another day. The point I want you to know from this is your brain is constantly redirecting resources to different parts of itself based on what it thinks you need. Most of the time it gets that right. Sometimes it does not. When your midbrain, your amygdala specifically, that's that security system I talked about earlier, believes that you are in danger, it will activate one of your four survival responses, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Fight and flight are pretty simple. They're fairly self-explanatory, and you probably understand how those work already, even if you haven't studied them a lot. The freeze response is essentially sort of like a deer in headlights type reaction. It's when you are so overwhelmed by either actual mortal danger or sometimes, maybe more often for most of us, a chronic accumulation of stressors. So many things building up that your stress level gets so high that it actually feels to your amygdala like you are in imminent mortal danger. And sometimes when we feel like we're in imminent mortal danger, we feel like the safest thing for us to do, and this is not, I'm going to sidebar for just a second here. When I say we feel like, I want to make sure you understand these are not decisions. These are not conscious thoughts. Remember, conscious thoughts take place in the frontal lobe. So you like you decided to click on this and you've decided to listen to it. Those are choices you made. You had awareness of options and you had an awareness that you selected an option. You don't have awareness with survival responses that you have an option. They're meant to override your ability to think because they're survival responses. They're, they're reflexes. They're instinctive reactions that we are born with. So you do not choose them. 
And so if you're if you're thinking like, oh, I, you know, I had a I had a freeze response when I had a to do list a mile long. I am so stupid. Like, why would I shut down when I was so busy? That was so dumb of me. You didn't decide that. You did not choose that. A subconscious and primitive part of your brain chose that response for you because it misinterpreted the situation and it thought that you were in danger. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about what's actually happening during a freeze response. Remember that 10% active at once brain thingy I told you about before. When your amygdala, which is again in the midbrain, believes that it detects danger, it becomes a resource hog. And when I talk about resources that your brain uses, we're talking about blood, oxygen, and caloric energy. Those are the resources that your brain uses. So when you see a part of your brain lit up, it's, it means it has more of those things in it. That's all it means. Your amygdala becomes a resource hog when it thinks it detects danger and it starts pulling a bunch of resources away from the frontal lobe. It's not going to pull resources away from the brainstem because that's what keeps your lungs breathing and your heart beating. So when the midbrain becomes more active, the frontal lobe becomes less active. Now, I didn't really get too far into what the frontal lobe does for you. Let me give you a few examples of what types of activity happen in your frontal lobes. Emotion regulation. So your ability to feel a feeling, especially a distressing feeling, and sort of work through it like rationalize your way through it or figure out how to feel this feeling without acting on it. Like your ability to get angry and not yell or hit someone or your ability to be anxious and not run screaming out of the room. That's emotion regulation. Behavioral inhibition lives in your frontal lobes. That's your ability to feel like you want to do something, but choose not to do it. And so if, if you're in a, like a class or a meeting, that's really boring. And part of you wants to say, this is a complete waste of my time. This is pointless. Why are we doing this? And then your frontal lobe kicks in and says, hold on, friend. That's probably not the best idea right now. That lives there. Complex social engagement lives in your frontal lobe. That's your ability to, to understand sarcasm and, and nuance and, and correctly read body language and things like that. Your orientation to space and time is in your frontal lobes, your ability to know where you are and when it is and what you're trying to do, you're, you're, all your, your planning, your executive functioning, basically all your complicated adult human skills that you need to navigate this maze slash minefield of a thing we call society all lives up here. And so when that part of your brain becomes less active, because the resources it needs to function are being drawn to a different part of the brain, you start to lose all of those skills. That's why you shut down sometimes. That's why the freeze response results in a person who is just basically disabled and non-functional because the part of your brain that you need to do all those things you need to do, it's not there. I mean, physically it's there, but functionally it's not there. It's not online. It's not working. And it's not giving you the tools that you need to get your stuff done or to go do something enjoyable or to connect with people. And it's because your amygdala has misinterpreted your stressors. So often in life, it's just this buildup of stuff. Like I, I have a presentation I got to give tomorrow and I'm not ready. I need to finish this paper. I got seven text messages I have to respond to. I sent seven text messages and nobody responded to any of them. All this stuff. 
just starts to stack up in your brain. And everybody, every human being has a threshold, has a line. It's not a physical location. It's just a quantity of stress. Everybody has this threshold in their brains. And when that threshold gets crossed, you will shut down because that amount of stress feels like mortal life-threatening danger to your amygdala. Your amygdala doesn't know the difference between all that stuff pushing in on you from all sides all at once and a grizzly bear chasing you. Emotionally, they feel about the same. Hopefully that makes sense. So what the heck do you do when you're in a freeze response? Let me do the annoying therapist thing here and start by telling you a couple things that you probably shouldn't do that seem like the right move. So what most people do when they're in a freeze response, this also applies, by the way, if someone else is in a freeze response and you're trying to help them get out of one, it seems like the natural response, the natural reaction would be to try to motivate that person. Because if you see someone in a freeze response, what it looks like is that they're unmotivated. It looks like that person just kind of gave up on life today. They're just like, yeah, nope, not doing it. Because in addition to the kind of lack of, of activity, like physical and motor activity that often goes along with this, our social engagement tends to decline too. And so someone in a freeze response, like in extreme cases might be basically nonverbal, or at least they probably are just gonna give you a lot of really short um, flat answers, like a lot of yes, no, or maybe in just like, mm-hmm, mm-mm. Like they might not even use words. It's just that, that those functions, again, are regulated by the frontal lobes, which are not fully online during a freeze response. And so if you don't understand what a freeze response is and you see someone in a freeze response, it, it looks like they've just lost interest in life. And that's not, it can kind of feel like that. That's not quite accurate because it's actually a person who's completely buried by stress. So trying to like remind them or remind yourself of how important it is that you get this stuff done, how, how let down everyone's going to be, or, or what all the consequences will be if you cannot get up and get out of bed and get going is just one more stressor. And I know it seems like it's the right move, but it's actually going to make everything worse. There's a little bit more explanation on that in my video on the Yerkes-Dodson law. So if you haven't checked that out yet, I would encourage you to, that'd be a good video to follow this one up with. What actually helps people when they're in a freeze response are stacking small victories. And when I say small victories, I mean literally the smallest you can imagine. Because what happens when you when you have a victory in a freeze response? Actually, two things happen. One is you get a little dopamine boost. You get a little bit of reward coming in that says, oh, okay, I actually feel, actually feel a little bit of something right now. That's good. And your to-do list also gets just the teeniest, tiniest bit smaller. So how do you do that? Let's say, let's say that you're laying in bed and you have not been able to get out of bed yet today. The smallest possible action that you could take in that situation that has the potential to eventually get you going and get you out of the freeze response would be to sit up. Like, like not even to get out of, you, you might've think maybe you thought I was going to say get out of bed. No, I mean, sit up in bed, like the smallest action you can think of, but we're not done yet. Engaging in the action is only the first step. 
And if that's all you do, you're going to stay stuck. The second thing you have to do is celebrate that tiny little action to the most ludicrous degree you can think of. What do I mean when I say that? I mean, I want you to celebrate you're sitting up in bed like your Jim Ross and The Undertaker just sat up. And for the 10% of you that understood that reference, I love you. Thanks for being here. For the rest of you, what I mean is be incredibly excited for yourself. Make a really big deal out of it. I know that that might sound kind of silly because you sat up. Most people sit up every day, right? But in a freeze response, your body feels like it weighs 700 pounds. Your brain feels like it is encased in the thickest fog imaginable. When you're in that state, sitting up is a big win and you should celebrate it. If the WWE reference went flat for you, think about when you're potty training a puppy. That's also a decent example. You know, when your puppy pees outside for the first time, you're supposed to just like throw a celebration in the middle of your yard because you want to make sure that that puppy does not miss the fact that it just did something that is actually kind of incredible. When you sit up from a freeze response, that's the first step in breaking the chain. So I want you to just go above and beyond celebrating that. And from there, you just keep stacking the littlest things you can imagine. But don't just go, 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 go. Because that, that'll get you up to that threshold again pretty quickly. What helps you, A, pace yourself, and B, mitigate the accumulation of stressors is every time you do anything, take that pause. Take that moment, and that moment could be a minute, could be five minutes, it could be a little bit. Take that moment to celebrate what you just did. Celebrate yourself like you have never celebrated yourself before. Because when you start to feel that reward coming in, that starts to communicate to your amygdala, maybe we're not in danger right now. That's how your amygdala can start to differentiate are we being chased by a bear or do we just have a really stressful day right now? Because what would happen when you're being chased by a grizzly bear or in some other life-threatening situation that would produce dopamine? Like nothing. It, it just wouldn't happen. Your, your brain is not going to allow that in that situation because that could get you killed. That would be a liability. So when your amygdala notices, hey, there's dopamine here. We're getting reward from something. That's really weird right now. That shouldn't be happening in a life or death situation. Maybe we're not in a life or death situation. Maybe we've missed, I don't know why your amygdala is a we, but whatever, don't, don't read into it. I'm just talking. Maybe we're not in danger right now. Maybe we have misinterpreted this situation and maybe we don't need to be in a freeze response right now. Maybe we actually need to reallocate those resources back up to the frontal lobe and get going again. Because that's the only thing that's ultimately gonna get you out of a freeze response is getting your frontal lobes back online. Because then you have critical thinking. And critical thinking can help you realize, yeah, this is really stressful, but I'm not gonna die. Like, I'm okay, this just sucks. This just really sucks, but I'm okay. This is not going to kill me. And in fact, I need this part of my brain online to work through 
all this stuff that's going on to regulate these incredibly intense emotions to plan how I'm going to get myself out of this because things are a bit of a mess right now. So I hope that makes sense. Do the smallest possible things, reward the heck out of yourself every time. And after you stack a few of those, your amygdala should start to understand that it has misread the situation and basically erroneously, erroneously, I don't, I just realized I've never heard anyone say that word out loud. So hopefully you know what I mean. Um, triggered a freeze response that is actually unnecessary and is keeping you stuck and holding you back. That's not the only thing that helps, but in order to avoid overwhelming you with seven different options or however many, I'm going to start with what I think is the most effective. Try that one. Let me know how it goes. Like, like actually let me know how it goes. Tell me in the comments, did this work for you or not? If it didn't, I'll make you another video and I'll teach you a different skill and I'll keep coming back until we make some progress. Fair enough. I'll see you guys next time. Take care.